Here we go. It's another big week in the NFL for the New York Giants. This is the Giants Wire podcast, powered by USA Today Sports. Now your host, Ryan O'Leary and Giants Wire editor, Dan Benton. All right, welcome to the show. Reminder to find us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. We appreciate you listening, and please subscribe. And it's a bye week for us, Dan. So we decided to do something fun and bring on the uh, the highly entertaining and knowledgeable guys from the Talking Giants podcast. Uh, Dan, why don't you introduce these guys for me? Oh, we got Bobby Skinner, king of the O-line report, and Justin Pennick, who is uh, Jason Garrett's biggest fan. We'll hear about that here in a minute. Um uh, Obviously, talking Giants guys blowing up over the past year or two. Um, good friends of Giants Wire and definitely wanted to get them on here for the bye week. Add a little spice to the whole thing, like you said. Uh, talk Giants football. That's what it's all about. Guys, why don't you tell us a little bit about your pod real quick? I know you guys have a huge following. Yeah, it's simply, I mean, you know, it's luckily for us, it's in the name. Um, and we even put it like on the podcast app in parentheses, a, 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 Gi- a Giants podcast. Like it's not, you know, it's not clear enough. <laughs> um, but basically, I mean, we just go hard in the paint with Giants year round, you know, like two episodes a week, every single week of the entire year. And then, you know, three during the season. And it's we try and hit we try and hit it from every angle, whether it's, you know, breaking down film, um, you know, making jokes or, you know, a player gets arrested like DeAndre Baker. And we're giving, you know, our legal thoughts on the whole thing. It's basically just going hard in the paint on all things New York Giants. Justin, this might we might be able to get you in here uh, on this first topic, right? Joe Judge coming out this week. He said the team sticking with Jason Garrett. There'll be no changes to the play calling, uh, so that thing's going to continue. And it's just like the same old story with the Giants. That's something that Dan and I talk about all the time, right? Terrible red zone offense. Uh, you're still scoring under 20 points per game, which that is what bugs me the most about this team. Like you cannot, you're not, you're never going to win in the NFL when you're scoring under 20 a game, and that just continues the lack of creativity the consistently throwing the football short of the sticks on third down all these things continue and they're just going to stick with it right they're just going to stick with jason garrett so justin let's get you in here what's what's your take on jason garrett and that whole situation yeah since 2020 there's been 25 games they've scored 41 touchdowns that's 1.64 touchdowns per game you know if you're averaging less than two touchdowns in a single game um as an nfl team in today's game i don't think you're going to have a lot of success right and the whole thing about keeping Jason Garrett, through, you know, through the bye week, you know, I, I get it from the point of keeping him in the regular season, right? Bobby and I, we've said this over and over again. The time to make the move was in early January of this year. You know, the time to make some sort of move and the time to really, frankly, I, I think save, save a lot of people's jobs. I, I do think there is a part of me that thinks if we have an approach that's a little bit more prioritizing explosive plays and if we have an approach that is a little bit more centered around scoring as many points as much as we can, which Joe judge had a quote after the Kansas city game of you sometimes shoot yourself in the foot. When you have that approach of trying to score as many points as much as you can, which I don't necessarily agree with, but when you have that approach, um, you know, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get less than two touchdowns per game. Um, That change should have been made in January. I get why it hasn't been made at least now after the bye week especially when Andrew Thomas is gone or the change should have been made after that Atlanta game where it's like, come on, you had such a really good game against Washington. You had a bad game against Denver, but then coming out after that Atlanta game and it's just, you do, you have nothing to dud. I think if you didn't make a decision after that, especially with all the injuries, now the continuity thing would be a bad look, but really 
Um, you know, we could t- I could talk about the offensive line a little bit and how I don't think that's a valid excuse for Jason Garrett because that's what everybody is now pointing to. And when your quarterback is averaging four yards depth of target against Kansas City and then 3.7 against Las Vegas, I'm sorry. That's not because of the offense line. That's a Pop Warner conservative level mindset. Four yards. That's really, really bad. And Daniel Jones is still holding onto the ball for you know close to three seconds. So you think if they want to prioritize the quick game, that he would be getting rid of the ball quicker. We're all in agreement that it's not the quarterback that's the problem, right? The, the problems for the offense go beyond the quarterback. I was kind of hoping we'd have an anti-Daniel uh, Jones guy in here. You know, Justin, you, Bobby, maybe you, one of these guys would be anti-Daniel Jones. So you guys could go at it with Dan uh, a little bit. But I think we're all in agreement, right, that the quarterback's not the problem. I, I would say he's not the sole problem. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say he's not a problem, period. I mean, Jones certainly has had some issues. The turnovers are starting to rear their ugly head a little bit too frequently again. Um, I know some people wanted to whitewash the whole fumble last week, but, you know, really, you got to hold on to the ball. I don't care, you know, if you can't see your blind side or whatever. This is the NFL. You got to hang on to that football. So to say that he, you know, can wash his hands at the failures of the offense, I don't necessarily agree with that entirely. Uh, but really it boils down to a, a remarkably conservative offensive approach, not using personnel to their, you know, to what they do best. Daniel Jones, I think in particular, you know, say what you want about the turnovers, but, you know, he's a deep ball passer who's not throwing the deep ball ever at this point. Um, and, I, you know, granted, they've had a little bit more success in recent weeks as far as wins and losses go. Uh, the production of the offense is dwindling even further. His numbers are dwindling. He was on pace for 5,000 total yards at one point. And uh, that's just, you know, completely fallen off the map. And I know some people want to blame that also on injuries, but at some point or another, you just, you got to make things work. And right now the Giants offense is just not making anything work. And that's why it's so frustrating that they brought back JG is because like, Hey, this is a huge year where it's like, it kind of has to work no matter what for Dan. Now he'll get his fourth year, but it's like, if you hit year four and you don't have your extension, like, the odds are you're probably not going to be extended or you're not going to, you know, you're not part of the team's future plans. And it's not even like a necessary, like, are you the problem? It's just like, Hey, we're up against the time. And it's like, we kind of have to have a, a legit answer, you know, and you can't say he is the guy until he clear cut is the guy. And what's so frustrating is that, you know, because the, the pushback against the, he's not the problem. Cause he's not the problem is that, well, is he the solution? People would say, well, look at what would happen when, you know, he had a bad running game a bad play caller in Jason Garrett, a bad offensive line, except for Andrew Thomas, the one good offensive lineman and a good wide receiver core. Kenny Galladay, Kadesh, Tony, Sterling Shepard, like having two out of those three healthy for whatever game, that's a good wide receiver core. Not the best in the league, but it's a good wide receiver core. And he was balling. You know, we were saying like, look, he's the guy. He's the real deal. So if you give him one and a half of the four things that you need, like, you know, that surround your quarterback play, which is extremely dependent on outside sources. Like he was really good, but right now we're, we're over four. Like we really don't have a good wide receiver core. I guess they had Gallaudet and Tony last week. So I'll say, I'll say, you know, one for four, even though they weren't using, I I, I guess they had them. Yeah. Yeah. You guess uh, yeah, Tony. (laughs) You you went from a bad offensive line to like, you know, well, the, this last week was the first time they had a good running game and they won. So, yeah. Well, you know, they've got to make up for the offensive line problem. So Garrett's calling these plays and, and Dan, Dan and I have been talking about them trying to move the pocket and all that. But one thing we were talking about, Dan, maybe you could jump in here. Jones actually said that he has little input on the offensive game plan, right? So that's that's not what it was like back when Eli was the quarterback, right? I mean, this is three years in. Did he say think- that recently? 
You said it yesterday. Don't, I didn't watch the pressers yesterday. It was the first time in a while I didn't so, watch. That's so, huge. So the quarterback saying he doesn't have a lot of input on the offensive game plan three years in, uh, that's pretty disappointing to yeah. me. I would think. Well, if he you're, if he you're attributed dumb, it dumb. to being only a third-year quarterback, which I thought, you know, was kind of a bizarre comment. It, it felt more like a cover for Jason Carrot and Joe Judge than anything else. Because in year three, at this point, granted, it's only year two of the system, but you've got to have some input. And he did acknowledge that they have, you know, the occasional Friday meetings uh, with Garrett in particular, where they go over a few things here. But ultimately what he came out and said was that uh, the game plan is the coaches, it belongs to the coaches. And he basically just, you know, follows the orders as, as they are given. And, um, you know, again, I don't know how functional that is uh, for a quarterback in his third year. And as they pointed out, uh, this is when jobs are on the line. And that includes Jones because, you know, and we've talked about this before too, if they end up moving on from Gettleman, you know, then you have the whole mess of does the next general manager want judge? Does he want Jones? What becomes of those guys? Um, so there is so much on the line that you think that you would allow someone whose job is on the line and, you know, potentially protecting your job in the process. You, you, you know, allow them to have a little bit more input over what they're seeing on the field, what they feel comfortable with, what throws, what routes, what plays, even if it's just only a small handful of them. Um, the fact that he has almost no input is sort of remarkable. It was frustrating is, is I was ready to move off DJ this year, by the way. Like, you know, it's like, you know, but I was like, all right, if, if, if we have a carbon copy of last year, like I'm going to be like, Hey, I, I want the Giants to look for a QB. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, don't force anything. You know, I don't want to bring in Teddy Bridgewater or, you know, I, I just draft a quarterback for the sake of drafting a quarterback. Right. But I was like, if there's, you know, if there is a quarterback in the draft you want, get, take him if he has a carbon copy, but it's like, it was really good. And then he lost everything. And it's just been kind of like, a, a, like above like he's been above average the past mm. three weeks you know without Andrew mm. Thomas the, the Panthers game was good the Chiefs game was bad but because of that turnover but it was like you know everything else in that game was solid you know not not perfect but solid and then this past game I thought he, he played pretty decent but again it was not it was nothing special because there was like there was nothing special there was right. one play where I'm like maybe this could have been a big play but I'm also like if he throws the ball back it might have been a strip sack too you know like it was you know, his touchdown number is so low, and I've always oh, I've challenged yeah. people this year, find me the touchdowns that are there that he's leaving on the field. Find them for me because they're not there, you know, and that's the frustrating thing. I, I would rather them not be there and just be like, hey, he's not the guy. Daniel, I, would, Daniel, I, would rather, I would rather do that than be where we're at right now. The thing with Daniel Jones is every time he turns over the ball, it brings back the 2019 oh, and the, yeah. dra- and oh, the draft yeah. day talking 100%. points. And really, throughout 2020 and 2021, the turnovers have not been the issue, but because – Every turnover is so huge. Every it's a, it's turnover, a rod. Yeah. every turnover is the end of the world because mm-hmm. there's no margin of error, and that, and that's why you know that's why I talk about the explosive players. That's why I talk about you know prioritizing scoring points, and this and this team doesn't do it because then every time the quarterback does make a mistake, we're talking about well, is this guy the guy? I don't think that's fair. No, I really not. don't think it's that's not. fair on on Daniel Jones if he's no. turning over the ball at the same rate that he is in 2019. Yeah, it's a problem, and we yeah. got to talk about him. We got to talk about the turnover problem. But now at this rate, you know, he's had more games and he's put together more of a sample size. And this is also outside of his rookie year too, which right. I you know is ent- sometimes not fair to evaluate a rookie quarterback and what his entire career is going to be. Right. You know, he's put together more of a sample size on a consistent basis. You don't have to worry about the turnovers um, than than the opposite. But because every turnover feels like the end of the world and it's because we don't 
put enough points on the board. And I do. I agree with you when it comes to that. I I bring up those two turnovers in particular just because they were terrible turnovers. Yes. I'll judge them on a one-for-one basis, but you'll never see me criticize Daniel Jones as this, you know, unbelievably uncontrolled turnover machine that these people believe that he is, and he's really not. And you're right. In the last game, he did play well. He played well within the game plan. And the argument then becomes, well, look at his box score numbers, which is one of the laziest, most boring arguments that I deal with on a weekly basis. And But that's become the norm with Daniel Jones. If the Giants win and he doesn't turn the ball over, critics will complain that he didn't put up big numbers in the box score. And if he plays well and the team loses, well, he didn't win the game for the team. And Think about this. Daniel Jones has played eight games. The Dallas game he left in like the beginning of the second quarter or, you know, but he like I'm not I'm not going to count that as a game. He's outplayed the other QB six of the eight games this year. Matt Stafford and Teddy Bridgewater were the two key other QBs that outperformed him. Week two, he outperformed Tyler Heineke. Week three, he outperformed Matt Ryan. Yeah. Week four, he, he outperformed Jameis Winston. Week five uh, was the Dallas game. He missed that. The Rams game was the next game. He got Matt Stafford beat. So that's two. You got Bridgewater, Stafford, and then Sam Darnold, Patrick Mahomes, and Derek Carr these past two weeks. He's outperformed them. Like So six of the eight games he's played this year, he's outperformed the other QB. So just more positive talk for Daniel Jones. That's par for the course for the Giants Wire podcast. That's just, that's just all we need. So, all right, coming up next, I want to get Bobby's take on a rookie that's flashing on defense. Bobby was tweeting about him back in January. We'll get into that coming up next. This is the Typical Sportsbook Fantasy Minute. Let's make this interesting. Interesting. Welcome to week 10 of the fantasy football season. I'm Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com, here to talk to you about strong plays as we approach the playoff push. It hasn't been pretty since week one for Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence in his debut season, but he has a chance for redemption against the Indianapolis Colts in week 10. Yes, he has no more than one passing touchdown in each game since week one, and his weapons are suspect, but the Colts offense is doing enough to force him into a pass-happy script. The Colts have given up huge numbers to quarterbacks in 2021, including a league-high 23 touchdown passes. Last week, even the Jets were able to shred this group through the air. Only one team has yielded more fantasy points per game, and this is the third-best opponent to face for yardage. Playing Lawrence is risky, but the matchup is brilliant. Washington football team running back J.D. McKissick versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. On the ground, this matchup is awful. Both teams return from their bye, but a common byproduct of being such a stout run defense is a team usually gives up serious volume to pass-catching backs. In the last five weeks, this defense ranks fifth in receptions allowed per game to the position. A dozen teams have yielded more aerial yards per game in that time frame, and three touchdowns over the last 29 receptions faced by running backs makes a pretty compelling case to play McKissick. He's a sound RB2 in PPR this week. Wide receiver Russell Gage, Atlanta Falcons at Dallas Cowboys. Only 11 teams have given up more catches per game than the Cowboys to wide receivers in the last five weeks, and this is the third highest rate for touchdowns against by the position. Dallas's offense is poised to rebound after what we saw last week, which should promote more passing by Atlanta. The matchup profiles for a stronger day by Gage than it does for tight end Kyle Pitts, and while Atlanta's de facto wide receiver one is risky business and fantasy, he is coming off an eight-target game and has scored at least 13.4 PPR points in two of his last three outings. Don't expect a huge day, but there's definite wide receiver three utility here in PPR scoring. Minnesota Vikings tight end Tyler Conklin at Los Angeles Chargers. He's a fine fantasy play in Week 10 as the Bolts have given up the third most yards per game to tight ends, 77, since Week 4 on the 18th most catches. A touchdown every 9.5 receptions sits as the 10th highest frequency against. One caveat here, the health of Los Angeles cornerbacks. In the past few weeks, injuries have enabled opposing wide receivers to have some fun against this defense that's otherwise strong against the position. And Minnesota 
Dakota has obviously very capable wideouts on the outside. That could work against Conklin. However, it also enables him to draw single coverage and roam freely. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. That was your typical sportsbook fantasy minute. Win your fantasy football league with thehuddle.com and use them to dominate player prop bets at Typico Sportsbook. For a limited time, new Typico Sportsbook users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, we're back on the Giants Wire podcast. Quincy Roche, Bobby, really looks like he can play, right? He's flashed the last couple of weeks at the right time. The Giants need pass rushers, right, badly. Guys like Roche, Ojolari, these are players that we'll be looking at to kind of like fix that glaring problem on defense that we've had over the years, especially this year. Uh, you were high on Roche, right, Bobby, on uh, you know Senior Bowl. So uh, you were tweeting about him. What do you think about this kid, and uh, what do you like most in, in this Raiders game specifically? What do you see from him? I think sometimes it's like, oh, I like a guy, you know, but it's like, and I want him in the fourth round. And then so it's like, you know, if he lives up, you know, if, like I liked him as a fourth round pick, you know, I even, you know, we did our, our like post senior bowl mock draft. It's like, I feel like I'm, I picked him in the third round for the Giants, but like, I feel like I'm reaching a little bit. And then he goes with, you know, six round to Pittsburgh and then, um, you know, claimed off waivers after 53 minute cutdown. So in a bad edge room, he's been good. You know, like, like he's been much better than what they had in Lorenzo Carter, Ocean and Zimenez. And something I look for and. You know, if you watch our draft previews, when we talk about edge players, it's like, let me see what you do with your hands. Like, are your hands are constantly moving? Because you win the battles with your hands. Obviously, you need athletic ability, strength, but your hands is what makes the difference. Your hands is the reason why Chase Young is not having a good year, even though he has speed and, and the power that is generational. But your hands is, be, is, the, re, is the, the reason why he's been mediocre this year. So he's got that. Like, he keeps his feet moving, moves his hands. So he's a good, solid player. But I also want to push back. Because Roche is clearly the number two after Aziz Ojolari. And there might be times where he might be better than Aziz, but Aziz is going to get those flash plays more. I also still view him as like, I wouldn't have taken him in the second round. You know what I mean? So, like, I like what we've seen out of Quincy Roche. He should continue to play the rest of the year. But I also still view the edge room for the Giants as a huge weakness. You know, the fact that Quincy Roche in his second year is the like is a starter now. That shouldn't be the case. So, like, Quincy Roche... I like him. I want him on this team going forward, but I want him as like that second, third guy. You know, if he's like your third guy, like Quincy Roche has no bearing on any decision I'm making for the Giants in the offseason. Like he's a salt. I think he's going to be a solid player, but I also don't want to like him have like a decent little rookie season and be like, now he's going to get ex- exponentially better, which we do to so many players like guys like Lorenzo Carter and stuff. And then it's like, oh, well, they didn't live up to these bad these way too high expectations we gave them well at least we're getting pressures right like at least at least they're starting to get some pressure in the backfield and uh, it's desperately needed yeah and, and yeah. desperately needed. One it was thing, non-existent before that yeah, and that's absolutely. why Quincy Roche looks like feels so much better yeah. than maybe what he is right now superstar right? at least he's existing out there and is making them work for it and not having all day in the pocket you know and that's why I said like I don't think Patrick Graham has changed a ton I think it's just like, hey, we even we just have a semblance of some pressure on these quarterbacks yeah and, and I've um I have some stats to Compliment that were O'Shane Zimenez, 182 snaps this season. So this is all all season. Zero sacks, two QB hits, four pressures, zero tackles for loss. Um, Quincy Roche is two tackles for loss on the season before these last two games. But simply in the last two games, which is 100 snaps, one sack, three QB hits, and five pressures. 
Um, so this is just an NFL coaches problem in general, not even just the Joe Judge thing. You, you see a lot of NFL coaches very reluctant on playing the young guy, the young guy, which a lot of fans are like, hey, you know, this guy has promised. And the other guy that's starting simply just isn't fitting the bill. And, you know, we wanted Quincy Roche for a few weeks. Well, we've gotten him because O'Shane's been hurt. Lorenzo Carter's been hurt. I hope that after the bye week and after O'Shane kind of comes back, he was, uh, you know, he was a scratch uh, last week. Um, I hope after the bye week that there's still more of a rotation, but Roche is prioritized. Because even just in the two games where he's gotten 100 snaps, he's put together more sacks, QB hits, and pressures than O'Shane this entire season. They're not going to be able to, you know, go without that rotation. They have to have that rotation. Yeah. Um, you're going to wear those guys, you know, into the ground if they if they keep up the way that they are keeping up. But it was interesting to note that O'Shane was a, was a healthy scratch and not an injured scratch last week, uh, which sort of speaks volumes about you know, where the coaching staff thinks he is now. Now, Judge will always give everyone an opportunity to get out of his doghouse, but O'Shane's going to have to, you know, practice really well. He's going to have to start showing up. He's going to have to start producing, or he yep. is going to lose those steps to Roche. And what's frustrating is that my biggest critique of the Giants' defensive staff is they had a type with edge rushers. Like, you got to be able to drop in coverage, play the run. You know, and that's why they didn't play Marcus Golden. But O'Shane Zimenez was the player who didn't fit that type more than anybody in the last two years. Like if there was one player, it's like he just doesn't fit what this defense does the past two years. It's O'Shane Zimenez. And it's like he got reps, but Marcus Golden didn't. Like that has been – and I'm very – like I love Patrick Graham. I'm very complimenting. But that has been my biggest frustration is like you guys have too much of a type in that edge room and it stopped you from playing. Boy, couldn't they use that production that Golden's – putting out right now ball in Arizona. now i don't think he maybe would do all this have the same stuff with us but he is i mean he was a good player and you know dan i'm sure you get like some of the same frustrations as us it's like 2019 he has 10 sacks and people are like those are coverage sacks it's like we had oh, the worst coverage God. in the league imagine what he could do with some decent coverage the nfl like that quincy roche sack on on sunday people expect that to be every sack it just doesn't happen no. most i hate i would i wish i could have like a real number but it's like most sacks are covered sacks. Yeah. Like every sack is a covered sack. And it makes – you know what it does? It makes up for it when Leonard Williams whips some guard's ass, but the ball comes out. Yeah. You know, like I, that's why I can't stand the term covered yeah. sack. Yeah, I mean, so here, so here's the bottom line. I, I, this, is my, this is one of my favorite stats. Um, about that stuff I, that's not even the Giants related. That, I, that I talk football it takes. No, but this it, it ultimately relates to the Giants, especially when you talk about uh, the value of Leonard Williams and, you know, maybe why the edge room isn't fitting the bill this year. You know, so 1985, there were 30 players with 10 plus sacks. You know, in, in 2020, there are players, there were 10 players that had at least 10 sacks last year. So, I mean, that is dramatically different. And the game has really yeah. prioritized getting rid of the ball quick. And this even goes to a, you know, a Dalvin Thompson versus a Dory Jackson conversation where why you want to prioritize coverage is because, you know, guys up front, you know, teams are running the ball less and teams are getting after the quarterback less. So you want to prioritize that secondary. So that's why that move of prioritizing a guy like Jackson over Thomason is somebody who, you know, is, is something yeah. that, that we like too. But yes, Quincy Roche, impressive. <laughs> I, you know, not a lot of people are going to like that take because for some reason the popular opinion is that Adoree Jackson is not playing well. And I, I must be watching different football games than a lot of these critics are because he's been playing exceptionally yeah. well. Len, Leonard Williams falls in line with that, with that same sort of, you know, bias that's been created that he's not having this great year when in fact, especially if you watch him in the last game against the Raiders, he was just dominating people in that game. So, you know, and then Ryan, I don't, don't mean to, to, to steal the mic from you there, but uh yeah, it is interesting to see these preconceived biases and how they continue to play out, even so, even though some of these players continue to, you know, prove that they're that they're false. 
Can't steal the mic from Dan on his, and it's it's your it's your own podcast, Dan. You can't steal the mic from you. But I wanted to get your take on one more thing here to, to wrap up this like kind of little segment on the defense. Uh, there's a post up on Giants Wire, Derek Carr, Marcus Mariota telling Logan Ryan after the game that uh, they had never seen disguises like the ones Patrick Graham was drawing up. Right, so it feels like the Giants baited Carr into some stuff. I mean, that McKinney pick six to start the third quarter changed the whole game. Right, it just flipped the whole game in that second half put the Giants on track to win it and uh, Derek Carr I mean there's a lot going on with the Raiders and never mind coming across to the East Coast to play a 1 p.m. game there's a lot going on there but Carr was not sharp how much of that credit do you give Patrick Graham and those comments by Carr and Mariota to Logan Ryan interesting yeah, I, Telling. I give him I give him all the credit in the world for that L- listen you can say whatever you want about Derek Carr leading up to this season the bottom line is he's playing exceptionally well this year uh, and you know he had arguably if not definitively his worst game against the Giants and Patrick Graham. And I think that was, you know, he had to, he acknowledged it after the fact, told Logan Ryan and Marcus Mariota, who's close friends with, with Logan Ryan, both acknowledged that, you know, they haven't seen those sorts of disguises before. And I think you got to take, you know, Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota at their word. If they're saying that they're, you know, seeing things that they haven't seen before, particularly veterans. I mean, these aren't rookie players. These guys have been around a while. Um, so pat on the back for Patrick Graham. He's really turned around. It wasn't just last week either. He's been on fire for a couple weeks now. And before Bobby starts talking about scheme stuff, um, 19 plays in the red zone, the chiefs had, they averaged like one yard per play, 1.5 yards per play. And then like 18 plays in the red zone, the Raiders had this past week and they averaged like two yards per play. So the field zone is where is really where, Patrick Graham shows and where his defense really shows up where they allow a lot of yards and they're Patrick Graham doesn't care. I, I could no. be last in the league in yards per game, but as long as we're a top five red zone defense, and as long as we're, you know, allowing field goals over touchdowns on a consistent basis, he's going to take that. And that's why I love him so much because the way that he says, I'm going to, I'm not going to let you beat me by touchdowns. I'm going to allow you to kick field goals. It's basically that's the Giants offensive philosophy and that's how they lose games. And that's how the Giants defense, they win games because they force teams to kick field goals. Bobby, tell me about some scheme stuff, what Patrick Graham does. Well, I'll keep it simple because you guys have hit on it. But like that Xavier McKinney pick six, you know, I did like an individual breakdown of that. And usually those take me a couple minutes like, okay, this is what they're doing, blah, blah, blah. Put together, you know, what I want to talk about. That one took me like over 20 minutes to put together, like all the moving parts and what they were doing. And it's like, it's crazy how it's like so much goes into one single play, but that, you know that play turns into a pick six. So, um, and judge had a quote today I saw, and I actually agreed with it a bunch. He's like, I don't think I've simplified. The, I don't think we've simplified the defense much. We've just been more selective. And I think that's exactly what's happened. I don't think they've gone, they've changed a ton. I think they've just been more selective in what oh, they're doing. The biggest change was putting Bradbury on right. Waller and Kelsey the past. Well, that was, that was they threw everyone at Waller this week though, right. too. And they, and they they did that against Kelsey and the Chiefs too, uh, you know, pretty often. Yeah, and a they, lot. And they did a great yeah, that job. Was, that was a difference maker. Shutting them down. Um, but I but I tend to agree with you on that. I, you, you you haven't really seen too much of a schematic change. Uh, what you have seen is really the players playing at a much higher level than they had been playing. You know, the whole missed tackle issue aside, which is you know problematic. Uh, the players have been playing significantly better just some semblance of pass rush right just not not a good not a good top tier pass rush just a semblance of pass rush has made the difference where the first you know first five six games where people were like you know like i was people were getting mad at me because i wasn't killing patrick graham was like he has zero pass rush like they can't like and when they blitz ever guys are you know it's like they they just can't win without any type of pass rush you know like uh 
like a Kyler Fackrell would have made. I mean, Quincy Roche is making a difference and winning and losing right now. And that's crazy to say, but it's true. More with the guys from the Talking Giants podcast right after this. This is the typical sports book minute. Let's make this interesting. What's up? This is Jeff Clark from the Bet Slippin' Podcast presented by SportsbookWire.com. I'm here with my handicapping homie Nathan Beagle to break down this week's Sunday Night Football matchup between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Las Vegas Raiders. Our friends at Typico Sportsbook have the Chiefs favored minus 2.5. Their money line is minus 145, so Raiders are plus 120 to win that game outright. The totals 51.5. I'm on the Raiders plus two and a half. Um, I think we get some value after they had an absolutely pathetic performance at the New York Giants last week. And I don't think enough is being made of the struggles of the Kansas City offense and the mediocrity or just terribleness of their defense. Nate, how do you see this game playing out? See, I'm on the under. The public is on the over. The cash is on the under. I got Chiefs and Raiders, both 15th and 16th in points per game. I'm going under 52 and a half. That was your typical Sportsbook Minute. For a limited time, new users in Colorado and New Jersey from this podcast will enjoy a special welcome bonus. Get your bonus today at usatodaybet.com slash podcast. That's usatodaybet.com slash podcast. See typico.com for terms and conditions. 21 plus only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. All right, guys, we're on a buy. Let's like reset the NFC playoff picture a little bit, right? The Giants are three and six. Dan, you know me. I'm always here for path talk. I will talk a path to the playoffs until I'm blue in the face. The Giants last year, I think they were one and seven, and I'm talking path to the playoffs, right? Uh, okay, maybe not. Maybe not this year, right? But it, it, what do you guys think about just the NFC playoff picture in general? And where do the Giants fall in this, right? They once they play Tampa Bay coming out of the bye, they're really through the gauntlet portion of their schedule and it does lessen up and they're one game back in the win column from the freaking Falcons who are in the seventh spot so yeah, it's, who knows is there a path it's it's wild I mean a couple weeks ago I said it to you we're not doing the path to the playoffs nonsense this year <laughs> well we had the happen. season over after week three right and over. then I conceded all right you know if they win two of their next three games <laughs> then maybe we'll have that conversation and, and magically here we are I didn't didn't see it coming uh didn't expect it not by a country mile and you're right. If imagine, just imagine a scenario in which they pull off an upset and they bring Brady down again, which you know they've done throughout their history. And you go into that final stretch of the season where every single game down the line is a winnable game for this team. I'm not ready to have that playoff conversation just yet. Uh, let's get to the other side of this break. See what happens against Tampa Bay. See where they are in terms of their health um, and everything else, and, and maybe we'll go from there. But I uh, I will reopen that door to the outside possibility that the Giants can make the playoffs. I think the schedule is favorable enough to them. I will say this. Coming out of the bye at Tampa Bay, whatever that spreads ends up being on Tipico, Dan, whatever that number is, I'm taking the points. Tom Brady's kryptonite, man. I'm a Patriots fan. Bobby, Justin, you probably don't know that. I'm actually a Patriots fan. I live out in New Hampshire. Tom Brady's kryptonite, man. Every time he sees the Giants, it's like he just can't – he loses control of his own faculties, right? So that game, even in Tampa Bay – I'm taking the Giants. I don't care what the points are, uh, whatever it is. Even if it's like a three-point spread. Even I'm in 2019, like we were a bad team. It that was matter. the most injured like the mm-hmm. Giants have ever been was that week. They you know, had a bad offensive line. All of their – even all, like they're not so good players injured. It was the worst – they had the worst starting running back we ever started for a game in my lifetime in John Hilleman. And you beat us, didn't um, you? 
Shout out Rutgers. And it was like 14-14 at like at halftime. It's like, oh my God, like here are the Giants and the Patriots it's again uncanny. on prime time with Joe Buck and you know Troy Aikman on the call. Uh, ended up losing that game, but it was like, man. Bet the Giants. Year, Bet it, the Giants you know, at Tampa it, it Bay. I'm telling too. you. Brady will not first, sleep the night before. First of all, John Hillman went to Boston College. So get your. And then he, he transferred the Rutgers his senior year. I don't know. Get, <laughs> Nobody get your, knows undrafted free agents like me. Please get do your not colleges, try me, Justin. Get your colleges right. Hey, here's here's what I will say. That best record Dave Gettleman's had in his four years. There's a path. <laughs> there's a path to nine and eight. Nine and eight might get you that. That'll it get might. you the seventh the seed. It might. Yeah, that'll get you the seventh seed. The yeah. If, if you were to tell oh, yeah, me, but we're not going nine and eight. Nine oh, and eight definitely it. gets you the seventh seed, but they're not going. Nine stop eight. it. Stop it. You're three if and you, six. If you you could lose two more games and you can go nine and eight. If you were to tell me before the season, if you could tell, if you told me before the season that Giants, I want a 10. If you told me that they would go nine and eight, I would take it. And that's exactly what's going to happen, fellas. Eagles, Dolphins, Chargers, Cowboys at home, Eagles, Bears, Washington. That's how they finish it after Tampa Bay coming out of the bye. You got to beat Los Angeles. You got to beat Los Angeles. And then you can lose against the Cowboys and you can lose against the Bucks. Boom. That's, that's the way season. I'm seeing it. Honestly, that's the way I'm seeing it uh, the same way. And right. I think the Chargers look a lot more beatable now than they did earlier this yeah. season. Uh, so, again, I, I look at that and, and I see outside of Tampa Bay, it's like, you know, I don't know. You know, if they could stay healthy and start putting things together, I'm not putting it past them. All right. Patrick Graham against elite quarterbacks. Let's go. It's a thing. Playoff uh, path talk, Dan, returns next week on the Giants Wire pod. <laughs> I, uh, I can't wait. Bobby, how can, guys, how can people find your podcast? Plug it for me. Um, you know, it's just you know, on YouTube. Talk, you know, search Talking Giants. You'll see the the logo on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, all that. You know, basically every podcast app. Um, but I always tell people follow us on social media for give you know follow us on social media for a couple of weeks. If you like the vibe, if you like what we're saying, then listen. Um, so you know, I'm at Bobby Skinner underscore. Um, that's on Instagram as well too, but I don't wow. plug that as much because I finally passed Justin Instagram followers. Um, <laughs> well, no one's catching you on Twitter followers, man. You got a good following going. Yeah, I'm just trying to get my Instagram up, and then again, you know, that's why it's like, all right, let's do some weekend he, stunts. He took the Giants wire over in the last week somehow. Came out of left. <laughs> was field, it just right? this past week? Yeah, it was this past week. <laughs> oh man. Well, guys, thanks yeah, for thanks. joining us. I really appreciate it, and uh, it was it was a really fun show. It just a little bit more profanity than Dan's used to. I saw him reacting a few times when Bobby was. <laughs> Dropping some, uh, which is he, I usually try to not cuss on our podcast. So I thought <laughs> yeah. I thought I'd go on another podcast. And yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Dan laughed every time there was a swear word said. So I'm gonna have to go back and edit this time. I don't know what the USA Today <laughs> Network's gonna do to us. I, I don't want to find out what they're gonna do. They'll keep me locked in this closet. We've done this whole <laughs> meeting over Zoom, and I'm just like in the dark here. You guys can't even see me. It's like I'm hiding from you. I gotta fix my lighting in this closet. But no, no. It was a great. It was great to do a show on the buy. We'll. Uh, Dan and I will be back next week to talk about Giants Bucks. You already know who I'm picking. We'll catch you then. This USA Today Sports Podcast has been presented by USA Today's Sports Media Group and is available in your favorite podcast store. Make sure to subscribe for weekly updates, the latest fantasy picks from Corey Bonini, and the Huddle Podcast, Inside the Weekly Line, with Sportsbook Wire's Jeff Clark and Eston McLaren, and the Bet Slippin' Podcast. We'll see you again next week.